This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. The Affordable Care Act is facing another legal challenge. On Friday, the day before this year's ACA sign-up deadline, a Texas federal judge, Reed O'Connor, ruled the law unconstitutional. He sided with 20 Republican state attorneys general who sued on the grounds that without a tax penalty for not having health insurance, the rest of the law can't stand. Democratic leaders from various other states have promised to appeal the ruling, and it will most likely end up back in the Supreme Court at some point in the next couple of years. For now, the law remains in effect and coverages will continue. With more on the ruling, we're joined in studio by Mark Pauley, professor of healthcare management and professor of business economics and public policy here at the Wharton School. And also joining us in studio, Rob Field, who is professor of law and professor of health management and policy at Drexel University's School of Public Health. He is also a lecturer here at Wharton's healthcare management department. Gentlemen, as always, great to see you both. Thank you for coming in. So what, sh- what is the reaction to this, this ruling, Rob, by, uh, by this judge in Texas? Well, there are two separate tracks here. There's the legal and the political. Yeah. Uh, on the legal side, most analysts are just mystified by it. Um, I, I, I don't like the, the outcome, but the reasoning uh, just it seems extremely contorted. So take us through that, exactly what, what you see the yeah. problems are. So in 2012, when the Supreme Court reviewed the case, it, uh, Judge Roberts said the mandate is constitutional because Congress has the power to levy new taxes, and this is simply a new tax. Uh, It's a tax on being uninsured. And that allowed the rest of the law to survive. Well, a year ago, uh, as part of the tax law, uh, the Republicans zeroed out the tax. So there's now no obligation, even if you remain uninsured. So he said without that tax, it is no longer constitutional. And if the mandate, even if it's in its meaningless form, is unconstitutional, he couldn't sever it in legal parlance from the rest of the law. So everything else has to go with it. Mark? Well, I think of the line from Shakespeare, kill the lawyers. Uh, (laughs) As as someone who thinks the Affordable Care Act was a definite improvement over the status quo ante, uh, I I think this is uh, uh, regrettable, the decision of the judge. Um, I I do think the tragic figure here, in a way, is Justice Roberts, who first of all constructed the fig leaf of this was a tax, and Congress has the power to tax against legal arguments, which, frankly, I never understood that, well, government has the power to tell you not to do things, but not the power to do things, right? Mm-hmm. which is a mandate. Now, I think government has the power to tell you to put on your clothes if you're running outside in your underwear <laughs> uh, uh, anyway, but uh, that, that was the the reasoning that you needed a stronger argument. And then, of course, Justice Roberts recently uh, sent out a tweet saying, well, judges don't make their decision based on politics. They make them based on the law. But uh, most of the smart money that I read from lawyers suspected that this judge in Texas, because of previous rulings, would would rule this way. I think probably uh, they they were. Uh, you should never forecast what you hope will happen because you could be wrong. And if you forecast what you don't hope will happen, you'll either be right or pleased. But uh, but they forecast what they hope would happen that that if he ruled against it, it would still be um, just on the mandate. But the the ruling was much more expansive. So it's a political issue. I think if you want to make lemonade out of this lemon, 
you could say, well, maybe this is a chance to open a conversation, which we've been trying to have, but all the screaming keeps it from happening about how to actually fix some of the flaws yeah. in the Affordable Care Act. But but I think uh, whether that will happen or not depends on how credible this threat gets to be over time. And that seems to be maybe the biggest hurdle that we have right now, Rob, is the fact that, and, and we have talked about this ad infinitum now for the last several years on this show, is that I don't think there is any disagreement that there are parts of the Affordable Care Act that should be tweaked, that should be adjusted right. to fix the problem. Right. Ezekiel Manuel, one of the, the constructors of the Affordable Care right. Act, has come on this show and said that to, the, to that effect. We still just can't get past the politics of this to be able to have the actual conversation. Which has surprised a lot of us. Uh, I, I really thought that in 2010 when the law passed, the controversy would die down and it would be like Medicare. In a couple of years, people would accept it. Uh, the opponents would live with it. Uh, we'd make technical corrections where needed and, and we'd move on. Uh, I also thought after Obama left office that the controversy would tie down because he was no longer a target. It was no longer the president's policies. But I was wrong on, on both counts. So. Um, I think Obama said the other day that this just isn't going to end. Uh, they're going to keep taking pot shots at it. Um, what makes me pessimistic about this being an occasion to fix the law is that Republicans tried in 2017. There were numerous proposals yep. through the spring and summer. Um, all of them would have caused at least 10 million people to lose coverage, and in the end, none of them passed. Now, will the Democrats being in control of the House change that dynamic? I have a feeling it'll make it even harder. Mark? Well, there's Republicans and there's Republicans, and it's not the same crowd now yeah. as it was then. So if you wanted to find some basis for hope, uh, you might be able to find it there. Uh, my uh, technical position is that, that the, uh, in a way, the cause of the problem is, this, uh, is the individual mandate, but it, it was um, – uh, rationalized um, on on two bases, one of which I very much agree with, and the other one I'm, I'm less sure about. The the one I agree with is kind of what I said before. You don't want people running around without health insurance, regardless right. of their risk level. Right. Uh, you don't want low risk running around without health insurance. You don't want high risk running around without health insurance. The other was, as a, a buttress to the community rating, uh, everybody has to pay the same premium regardless of the risk level. And I believe there are better solutions to that problem, which don't um, necessarily require a, a, a community rating that that and community rating I think has been uh, in a way the, the the source of all the trouble here because it's been source of uh, political trouble and a source of economic trouble it discourages low risks from buying insurance and yeah. that's not a good thing either because they're not as immortal as they think so how, how I mean this is probably the the the, the large-scale question in this. How do we try and get to a point where you can have some sort of health care plan where everybody can kind of agree on the fact that, yes, there's a benefit. Yes, there's going to be an economic component to it. No, you don't necessarily have to mandate it, you know, as potentially was done in the past, that everybody has to have it. But people understand that it ends up being a good thing for the public. Yeah. Well, I still have faith in transparency. And in this case, that would mean and, and fairness. And that in this case, that would mean the current situation, the low risks pay more than what they're going to get back on average in order to help out the high risks. The right. Community rating means it. 
often is framed, even by Republicans, as we're going to force insurers to insure high risks. But no adult, I think, believes that the insurers will just take it out of profits. They'll they'll raise premiums sure, for, yeah. for others. But it's only the poor, uh, unfortunate, uh, it's hard to say that, uh, low risks who are buying individual insurance who are stuck with the bill. I should pay. You should pay, but uh, I don't pay, at least not directly, because I have group insurance through the university. So the, uh, uh, both the inefficiency of, of designing a system that encourages low risks to do what exactly the opposite of what we want them to do, which is to be insured by overcharging them, and then on the other hand, having that paid by only a tiny sliver of the population, but uh, at least my view of the last election poll results were... Everybody loved the, um, uh, the protection for high risks because 99% of them weren't paying for it. It's a right. way to get clean conscience and not spend a dime. It will be interesting to see how the market goes next yeah, year yeah, because so. it's going to be the first year without a mandate penalty. Yeah. We've seen enrollment decline by about 10%, yeah. but there are other factors there, the shortening of the uh, enrollment the window, period yeah. and, and, and so forth. But insurers are still in the market. Uh, there yeah. was a fear they'd get spooked and say, well, if the low risks don't have to buy in, uh, we can't spread the risk and this is going to be a disaster. But they're not only still in the market, but new insurers are entering the market. And in fact, prices have stabilized and even gone down uh, in a lot of markets. Uh, so if it continues to work out, then it may be that we don't need the mandate, the most unpopular part. And there is a way to make this mechanism work. I guess then the the question for a lot of people is where is this going to potentially head legally? Because obviously this will be appealed, right. this decision by this judge. And as we mentioned at the top, I, I think there is a pretty safe assumption that this is going to be back in front of the Supreme Court at some point in the next maybe year, year and a half. Well, uh, to Shakespeare's chagrin, we have another lawyer's delight. Um, yeah. It will be appealed to the appeals court for Texas, which is the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals. Uh, on the one hand, it's a conservative court, so they might tend to, to support the ruling. On the other hand, the ruling, e even among conservative analysts, is, is so convoluted and so extensive, well beyond where it had to go, uh, that there's a good chance they would strike it down or at least limit it. Uh, John uh, Roberts does not want to have to visit this again. Yeah. Uh, he spent a lot of political capital uh, salvaging the law just barely uh, in 2012. So if the ruling is struck down and the ACA stays in place, uh, the Republican attorneys general will appeal and in all likelihood the Supreme Court won't take the case. Uh, if it's upheld in, in whole or in part, uh, then the Democratic attorneys general will appeal and the Supreme Court will have another show on its hands. The other part to this I, I find interesting, Mark, is that I think there's a, a disconnect, and, and not that there's a surprise that there's a disconnect with Washington, D.C. in general, but there's a disconnect between what is the political side of this debate and what ends up being the, the, the on-the-street medical part of this, of people that need these types of insurance plans because of the fact that either they are you know working in the gig economy or their company does not provide them the uh, the, the the health insurance benefits there is a, a, a segment of the population out there that obviously can benefit from having these plans so let's figure this out at this point you would think although uh, more of the pressure I think rather than the polls uh, suggest that the people who 
had to pay more, which are some of those people in the gig economy, the young, healthy people, uh, were part of the fuel for objection to this by Republicans. So uh, as with almost everything in um, politics and real life, there's a trade-off, and the trade-off is to help out the high risks, which would warm all our hearts to know that would happen. Somebody's got to pay the difference because they're money losers for insurers. Somebody's got to make up the difference. And, uh, you know, and um, uh, even the most noble uh, Jimmy Stewart types would probably <laughs> rather not pay extra taxes uh, to do that. Okay. But, what a lot of the young invisibles may not realize is that if the ACA went away, uh, that individual coverage might not be any cheaper. Uh, before the ACA, individual coverage was expensive, hard yeah. to get. Uh, insurers didn't like providing it, uh, so it wouldn't necessarily benefit them. Um, it, it's interesting the way public opinion towards the ACA has begun to turn. There's an expectation that it would be like Medicare, uh, that after all the controversy, once it was in place, it would become popular. And today, Medicare is about the most popular insurance program in the world. Yeah. Um, ACA has remained about 50-50, sometimes a little bit less than that. It's now a little bit above 50 percent, and you now have millions of people depending on it. So that political public dynamic may change things. The other part to this, as you mentioned at the top, is the fact that not only is this a political battle at the federal level, but this is a battle at the state level as well. And realistically, I think we're seeing more and more instances of of the Affordable Care Act, while it is a national federal program, having more impact at the state level and states being able to potentially craft or change aspects mm-hmm. of this down the road. Yeah, and that's and that's federalism. Uh, it's interesting how this has become uh, as much a wedge issue as abortion or guns or anything yeah. else. Yeah. Uh, and you're seeing a division between the blue states uh, eagerly expanding Medicaid, uh, running their own exchanges, and many of the red states like Texas trying to stay as far away from it as they can. Uh, but we may see more and more of that division, and maybe that's where we'll go. If you want health insurance, you move to a blue state. Mark? Well, I was recently at a conference discussing um, state actions and helping out, uh, helping uh, helping all Americans to have affordable, decent health insurance. And uh, at least from the politicians, almost all of the uh, 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 emphasis was on, well, we just have to get those red states to do the right thing from our point of view without paying attention to why the red states and the politicians duly elected by their citizens may not be so eager to do that. Now, I think there are uh, modifications, uh, some of which I personally don't favor, but if they'll bring in uh, more support like work requirements, I'd be willing to make that bargain with the devil. Uh, And potentially, um, uh, this was actually in the Republic, uh, some uh, in the um, proposal from the senator from Tennessee. Bob Corker? No, the other. Or, uh, um, Alexander. Alexander. Alexander, yeah. yeah. Alexander, the yeah. the, the yeah. states be given the power to uh, change the rating rules, uh, uh, potentially offering the possibility of lower premiums to lower risks. Of course, then you have to raise the money somewhere else. But right. for the exchanges, the fraction of lower risks who are not already being paid for uh, – 
almost all of their premium by the government is actually quite tiny. It's much more serious in the off-exchange market. But the, what could happen, what, you know, maybe it could be a, a not the best, but a not so terrible case is if the Affordable Care Act uh, kind of shrunk down to the uh, subsidized coverage for lower income people in the individual market and the higher income people um, well, maybe a less sympathetic population. What do you what do you think is the is the reaction of the insurance industry to this latest kind of political well, volleyball sure, going back and insurers forth? Insurers are willing to do anything if you'll pay them for it uh, right. and guarantee yeah. unlike the, the rest payment. of us. Yeah, yeah, unlike the rest of us, yeah. uh, and guarantee that payment. So they like stability, and the things seem to have settled down. Although I think the uh, removal of the penalty potentially is destabilizing, and and it's always kind of a knife edge when you have community rating because it may not take the def- uh, the other thing that potentially destabilizing or the new uh, uh, more generous rules for people to go off community rated coverage into so called short term coverage, which can last for three years. Uh, all of those things could uh, upset that apple cart all over again. But uh, it seemed to have settled down just as just as everybody was breathing a sigh of relief. You get this judge and this decision, and, and now we're all breathing heavily again. Yeah, yeah. Uh, clearly, the insurance industry trades on stability, and instability is its its greatest uh, uh, demon. Yeah. Um, it does seem to see the markets as reasonably stable now. Whether they'll take the judicial environment into account when they're planning for 2020, we won't know for another six months or so. But they have another uh, huge advantage from this, which is the Medicaid expansion, which mm-hmm. is now yeah. spread to another three states. Most states use private managed care to administer all or some of their Medicaid programs, and this is a very profitable line of business. So whatever happens with the exchanges, unless the entire law goes, which is highly unlikely, right. uh, they will come out winners from this. 844 Wharton is the number if you would like to join in 844-942-7866 or if you'd like send us a comment on Twitter at BizRadio132 or my Twitter account which is at DanLoney21 joined in studio by Mark Pauly here of the Wharton School, Rob Field of Drexel University, 844-942-7866 or if you'd like send us a comment on Twitter at BizRadio132 or my Twitter account which is at DanLoney21. I saw a commentary uh, out the other day that made a statement that I, I wanted to get your opinion on. And it said that right now, as the ACA is comprised, that in different aspects of it and how it is playing out, that the chances are that it probably affects almost everyone in America. Agree with that statement? I, I do, but not because of the insurance market provisions, right. uh, because of everything else in it. Uh, hundreds of pages, hundreds of provisions that affect everything from generic copies of biotechnology drugs, which is a whole new market in the pharmaceutical industry that exists because of the ACA, um, something called accountable care organizations that encourage hospitals and doctors to band together to form networks to make care more efficient, uh, a lot of the preventive procedures um, allowing uh, uh, no-cost uh, preventive treatment, uh, breastfeeding stations at, at work, calorie counts on um, restaurant menus, um, 
allowing uh, young people to stay on their parents' policies until age 26, uh, and that's just the tip of the iceberg. Uh, so if you, yes, it, it's about uh, 10 or 15 million people who are on those exchanges and right. another 15 to 20 on, on Medicaid, um, although that's nothing to sneeze at. But if you look at all those other aspects of health care, the Medicare donut hole uh, for prescription coverage is being closed because of the ACA. Yeah. There are experiments in, in Medicare uh, payment, uh, encouragement for risk, uh, for error reduction. Uh, so, yes, it, it spreads to almost everyone. Mark? Well, actually, I would sneeze at it, I think. I think the, the, that's sort of uh, – that kind of statement is, of course, literally true, uh, especially if there's a rules in there about capping uh, Medicare payments, which make me terrified to go on Medicare once I stop teaching. But also, you, you guys will be paying taxes when I'm on it. And so <laughs> you're all affected by that. But on the other hand, the specific – components of, of, uh, of the uh, reducing the number of uninsured of the exchange and exchanges in that part of Obamacare, as Rob said, affect maybe 10 to 15 million people. That's about 3% of the population. Um, uh, uh, less, yeah, about 3% of the population. Um, that uh, uh, is actually quite trivial relative to uh, the, the total size of the population. Now, my take on that, though, is not that we should ignore these people because 15 million Americans are 15 million lives. Yeah, yeah. But in a way, the, the fraction is so small, why don't we just pay for them? You know, what's, what's the big deal? Uh, it, uh, rel it's, it's the rounding error in the estimates of total national health expenditure. So to some extent, the failure of Obamacare to enroll as many people as originally forecast is good news from a fiscal point of view because it means we can afford at least to treat properly the people we've already enrolled. And of course, this decision is a threat to that. Mm -hmm. But uh, it does seem like, especially at this time of year, not um, um, uh, sensible to talk about all the money we'll save from, yeah. from yeah. Um, making life miserable for uh, uh, even a tiny fraction of the population. Well, if you took out the legal fees for all of these challenges, uh, the government would save a fortune, which yeah, could probably right sure, yeah. in and of itself uh, yeah. fund the care. Um, I, I think there are a lot of political reasons. And why all, we... all the speaking fees, too. For right. Yes. Yes. <laughs> exactly, yeah. yeah. Right. Um, I think there are political reasons why we haven't gone down that road. In one of the, in, in the hearing on the health care case, uh, Judge Ruth Bader Ginsburg asked, well, if we did this like Social Security or Medicare and just the government just paid, would that obviate the legal problems? And and the opponent um, uh, attorney said, well, yes, it would. Mm -hmm. uh, so it would be much cleaner legally, uh, economically, as a matter of public policy. Uh, but I think politically, it would be awfully tough. You're listening to Knowledge of Wharton here on Sirius XM 132 Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. In studio with uh, Mark Pauley of the Wharton School, Rob Field of Drexel University, 844-942-7866. If you'd like to join in, we're talking about the latest legal challenge to the Affordable Care Act. Again, 844-942-7866 is the number if you would like to join in. Now, you said, Rob, a second ago that uh, it does not appear that you would think that Justice Roberts would want to have to go down this, this wormhole again. It, it does feel like, though, that we are headed that path, correct? Well, again, he could avoid it uh, if the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals throws out the ruling. Yeah. Uh, they could refuse to take the appeal. The Supreme Court does not have to take any case. Yeah. Uh, it takes four justices uh, to approve taking a case. And if there aren't four, the Supreme Court would just let the ruling sit as overturned. 
Um, it's really tough to predict right now uh, where that will go. I would say there's better than a 50% chance that Justice Roberts will be back in his corner trying to figure <laughs> out what to do. Mark? I, I think that's right. I think no good deed goes unpunished, <laughs> even what, for a Supreme Court justice. What, from from, a, from a, a management side of this, though, Mark, what do we need to really start to consider to, to try and, and, and put this to bed finally? Uh, well, I, I actually think it's probably overly optimistic to think that we'll ever really be able to do that. I think uh, it, it's, it's already happening, um, and uh, the manage, management in healthcare needs to be um, flexible. Uh, in um, uh, not so much in what has always been the challenge of how do you cope with changes in the healthcare system, how do you cope with the latest costly new technology and all of that, but how do you cope with these uh, hard grounders that keep coming out of Washington or in some cases Texas? And uh, particularly if uh, I think there's a good reason to think states will play a, a larger role. It's not only uncertainty, it's also great potentially great variety across the country that already is happening in regard to these short-term policies which some states forbid and other states probably will encourage and it makes insurance an interesting business let me lend a note of optimism here which is the the ACA is getting marginally more popular uh, the most controversial part of the mandate is essentially gone so that people are no longer being forced or yeah. coerced into buying insurance so those who find it too expensive can just not buy it. Uh, in some states, they can buy short-term policies, which are often junk, but they can do that if they'd like. So the pressure points for building public opposition uh, are dissipating. Uh, support for the ACA was a winning issue for Democrats in the past election. So it is possible that the vehemence of the opposition will begin to fade, and then maybe we can get to the job of just making it work. To the phones we go in Fort Myers, Florida. Peter is on the line. Peter, go ahead, sir. Good morning, folks. Um, I'm an insurance broker down here in southwest Florida. We just got done with the enrollment. And what you guys are saying is partially true. Unless you, if you make like over 50000 for a family of three, I'm 48, my wife's 46, I got a 14-year-old. They want 1700 a month with a $15,000 deductible for Florida Blue, the only ACA plan. You're mentioning short terms, but they did just increase them for one year. And you're not talking about these Christian share plans that are now available in the market that give free wellness, unlimited doctor visits. Um, there is a lifetime cap, but they have. Been, I work with the self-employed community down here, and um, I think you guys are missing the boat at how expensive it is if you make over forty, fifty thousand a year yeah. household income. It's it's not even close to what it was pre-ACA. I used to spend four fifty. A month with a United Healthcare plan with a fifteen hundred dollar deductible in two thousand twelve. I have switched. I did the short term. I would butt it up one year short term against the ACA. So if you ever get dropped at the end of the term, then I would be forced to go on to the ACA. But now these Christian share plans that are out there are very comprehensive. They cover right. pre-existing conditions and such. But you haven't mentioned those. And okay. um, I've done about seven hundred of them this year. And okay. for people who make anything over middle wages is it's very helpful. Peter, we'll get into that right now. Go ahead, Mark. Uh, well, uh, it, it's uh, 
a question of what it would be without the ACA. Uh, would you be able to get as comprehensive policy? Uh, the insurance companies did not like, they've never liked prior to the ACA, selling individual coverage that wasn't through employers. Uh, so the, the coverage, I, I presume, would have been less comprehensive. Uh, but um, one of the Achilles heels of the ACA is markets that are not competitive tend to have higher prices. So yeah. I think that's one of the areas that should be focused on. Mark? Well, one of the places, uh, I mean, the call is right, that uh, the ACA doesn't help people who have incomes higher than the 400% of poverty line cutoff. And at that level, you're about having the average income in the United States, and healthcare spending is 20% of our national income. So by extension, you're going to be charged 20% of your income for healthcare via health insurance or via out-of-pocket payments on average. Um, so, um, well, of course, would you like the? At one point, we had 10% of our GDP going to healthcare, but the, a lot of technologies that have been invented since then didn't exist. You could have that old care at the old price. Would you want it? Most people would, I think, say no, even at that income level. Um, uh, But you have to prepare for it. And then the other thing that the caller raises is, uh, and this is the act of faith by a market-based economist, somebody will come up with a reasonably decent way, at least compared with all other ways, of trying to deal with this uh, tough issue of how to make expensive things affordable. That's really the problem. And um, uh, unless we... And there's no magic wand to make them less expensive, and there's no magic wand to make people's incomes higher. Gentlemen, thanks very much. I have to end it there. Great Great. to see you, Mark. Rob, thank you for your time. Thank you. Thank you both. Mark Pauley from here at the Wharton School. Rob Field from Drexel University. For more insight from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. 